years. They were taken captive. Uh, the, and, um, and, and it was under King Cyrus of Persia that Cyrus got up and said, God told me to uh, let all the uh, inhabitants go back. And he let Israel go back into the land. He paid for it. He allowed it. They, now, uh, uh, Persia was still in control of all of that area. Right, they still controlled Israel, so there were still Persian governors. There were still uh, uh, people that were running that area, but Jews were also installed back again as overseers and things like that. And uh, so it's been through the seventy-year captivity, and then what we come here in the book of Haggai is about is as some surmise about sixteen years since they have been back under Cyrus. If you want to see something really exciting, you can go online. Find the British Museum. Look up or type in the, the uh, Cyrus Scroll. It is a clay scroll that is on display in the British Museum that has the decree from Cyrus that is in writing for, for the people to go back into the land. This is a historical fact, which all these people that are saying the land doesn't belong to Israel, well, that's kind of weird. But anyway, it's historically inaccurate. It's false. And so, anyway, so he, he had them go back. They went, but they began to trickle back into the area. Sixteen years later, right, the temple had still not been completed. Now, I want you to do this before we jump into Haggai. Go back to Ezra, because the, the cross reference here, this is the same time period. It's Ezra chapter 5. Ezra chapter 5. We have preached through Nehemiah. We have preached through Ezra, uh, Esther. Um, it's, it's my, uh, uh, pure opinion that, um, uh, when Nehemiah went before, uh, Artaxerxes or Ahasuerus, Artaxerxes, probably one and the same. When he went before the king there, when Nehemiah did, he said, it, said there, it says there in parentheses, in the queen sitting by him. I do believe that was Esther. These are all in the same time period. And it's fascinating that that, that parenthetical, that the Holy Spirit saw fit to put that parentheses there, the queen sitting by him. It's very interesting. I mean, as you know, the queen only came in at command. I mean, she wasn't just hanging out there in the throne room like he was, right? Remember how terrified Esther was as if even going uh, to, but un, uncalled. So for, it was just kind of an interesting little thing there. There is a time period. So here we have in Ezra, Ezra chapter 5, look one verse up in chapter 4, verse 24, right? It said, Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now look at this. Then the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel the son of Shiltiel and Jeshua the son of Jozadak and began to build the house of God which is at Jerusalem and with them were the prophets of God helping them. Now go right over to the book of Haggai. Look what we have here. Wouldn't you know it. In the second year of Darius. There he is again. 
the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, under Zerubbabel, there he is again, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people uh, say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So we see here back in Ezra, what we don't get is what moved, what moved, uh, 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 Zerubbabel and what moved Joshua to go back to building the temple was the prophecy of Haggai that God sent and said, hey, listen, you need to get back to building the temple. Why? They had stopped. Opposition had come, right? Opposition had come up. There had been lawsuits. There had been legal battles, literal legal battles. They had to go back and look up records of what Cyrus had said and things, decrees that had been made. But but in the interim, the, the, the building had been stopped for several Several, several years. So we come here to the book of Haggai, right? Darius is now the king. And, uh, and uh, God is telling through Haggai, there's going to be the, what he's doing is an inspection here of Israel. Verse, chapter 1, verse 1 through 15 is an inspection. I'm not going to go through the whole book today, but, but chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, you can see is some encouragement. And, and, uh, and uh, then when you get down to uh, verses uh, 10 on through the end of the chapter of chapter 2, we see a purification. So you have inspection, you have encouragement, then you have a time and a process of, of purification. So God's word here in Haggai came to those that were in authority, watch, and could do something about it. He came to the governor and he came to the high priest. He came to the, the political arena and he came to the spiritual arena and he spoke to both of them. And uh, the governor and the high priest, and he begins this way, he begins with the problem. Okay, what's the problem? Look at verse 4. It is, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? What is he speaking of? He's speaking of the temple, right? So is it, look, is it time for you to dwell in your sealed houses? You're not living in tents. You're not living in tabernacles. You have taken time over this time period to build up a house, to seal it off, to put in the windows, put on the roof, seal it up. Nice home. You've spent time to build your house, but you haven't done anything with the house of God, right? This is the problem. And let me say it this way. Here's the word I wrote down to define the problem. One word, priorities. Priorities. Their priorities had gotten backwards. Anything wrong with having a house? No. Anything wrong with having it sealed up with windows and a roof? Nope, not at all. Kind of smart, actually. Yeah, kind of smart. But it, do, it, it does become wrong when that overrides the priorities that God has placed in your life. And we know, we know, we've all lived in life long enough, haven't we? Haven't we to know when the priorities kind of overtake one, right? When the priorities take over and uh, they get out of, out of order and uh, the peace goes away and, and, the, and the, the irritation comes in life. See, priorities were on self and they were not on God. This is the problem that God is, out, is laying down here in Haggai. The priorities were on self and not on God. Now notice verse 5 through 6. We're going to see a discovery here. Look what he says. Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts. Consider your ways. Hmm. Something we ought, listen this is something we do at the end of every preaching service. We ought to. 
Consider our ways. Consider what God has said. Consider what the Holy Spirit of God is saying. That, that finger that is pointing on you, that heaviness that is on your, that is on your heart, that, that, that weight, that, is draw, that drawing that is going on. Consider, consider it. Don't just brush it off. Right? There is nothing worse than when, a, than when a, a, a parent or an adult is talking to a child, correcting a child, and that child goes, eh, goes another way. Tell you what, it makes me want to whip the fire out of them, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But how often do we, do we do that to God? The Holy Spirit of God moves and we just go, and we kind of brush it off. No, he says, consider. Consider your ways. Consider the way you are living. Why don't you do that right now? Consider the way you're living. Think about it just for a moment. How are you living today? What are your priorities today? He said, this is Sunday school, not preaching. Stop it. It's too heavy, right? I know, I know. Just what it is. What are your priorities? Consider your ways. Look what he says. You have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye, ye clothe you, but, ye, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it in a bag with holes. How many have been there? You work and you work and you work. And you're like, where did it go? Hold on, this should be a red flag. This should be a red flag. Listen, we're not saying that, that if everything's right, you're going to be rich. But within the context that God has put you, in the, within the context of the ability that, God, is, that is, God has equipped you to gain wealth, right? within whatever that context is, whether it's $20,000 a year or $500,000 a year, whatever context you live in, you know when, it's like, when your money is like going in a bag with holes in it. It's just gone, and you don't know why or where or what's happening, what's going on. It might be an indication. It might be a red flag popping up here. Watch what he says. He, said, he says, everything that you're doing, watch, the law of sowing and reaping, watch what's going on here, it's broken. The law of sowing and reaping is broken. Do you know naturally that doesn't happen? Right? If, if you go out and, and plant grass seed, even if you don't get a really good crop, what does take root is going to come up. There's a process that God has instituted, right? God has created what we have observed as the law of, of, of physics and, and uh, every action has a greater or equal reaction, right? Uh, cause and effect. All of these things that we have uh, understood and recognized, they, they've been created by God. And watch, when they are not operating, something is going on. That's why the Bible says, hey, it rains on the just and the unjust. Right? Reaping comes in the life of the unjust as well. How many wealthy people are out there that have, that have whether they know it or not, have, have sown to bibl- some biblical principles and a crop has come up and they're wealthy and they're yet they're rejecting God? Why? They're God's laws. So what's going on here? God's saying the law of sowing and reaping is broken. Red flag. There's a problem going on here because this shouldn't be. What does it mean? That means that God has gotten involved here. God has shut off the water. We're going to see this in a minute. God has shut off the reaping, right? They're sowing. It's going into a bag with holes in it, but it, nothing's happening. So there's priorities that, that is, is the problem. We see, secondly, there's the discovery of what, what is actually happening in their life that should be the red flag that shows them something is wrong. But number three, verse 10 and 11, we see a remedy that God gives. Look at, look at first of all, uh, number one, God, uh, build God's house. Look at, look at uh, what he says in verse 10. 
Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon all that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon the labor of the hands. No, God stepped in and said, I'm stopping my law of sowing and reaping. Why? Because I'm trying to get your attention. I'm wanting you to stop. Look at back in verse 4 or 5. I'm wanting you to stop and consider your ways. I want you to stop and think about why you are where you are. Well, why are they where they are? Look at verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He says it again, twice. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, build the house, and I'll take pleasure in it, and I'll be glorified, saith the Lord. Can I tell you, most of the problems we have in our life are really that simple. Go do what I told you to do. Go get the stuff to do it. Go do it, and I'll be glorified. And you know what will happen? The spigot of sowing and reaping will turn on again. <laughs> we'll see this here in a minute. Yeah. This is the remedy. Yeah. I stopped the law of sowing and reaping. I, I brought about the, uh, the, the drought. I kept prosperity from your life. So finally, look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Isn't that interesting? What does it mean? You know, in the, I, 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 I got to, there's a lot here. I got to slow down. Verse 12. All right. We have obedience. They got the word of the Lord. They got the word of God. Right. And they said in their heart to obey. Remember when Paul was called and what did he say? He said, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. One of our patterns is we, we got, the Lord is speaking. And of course, we know there's multitude, there's safety in a multitude of counselors. We understand that. But sometimes, sometimes, listen, we just need to not confer with flesh and blood and just do what God told us to do. You know, sometimes we'll say, well, I think the Lord's leading this. What do you think? What do you think? We'll spend five years trying to figure out what somebody thinks about what God is telling us. And ought to, you know what? In the depths of our soul, we already know what he's telling us. Right? We know, you know it. You know what he wants. Amen, you do. Yeah, they just obeyed God. They obeyed him. But I want you to notice this. And, and the people did fear before the Lord. What does this mean? There's the opposite of this is true, which is saying this fear is something new that hadn't been there before. Now they're fearing God. They weren't. Why, why? If, they, if they had been fearing God, they wouldn't be in the place they were today in this section right here. They'd have already had the temple built. They'd have been... Right with God. Let me say it that way. So what is the fear of the Lord? Let me, we've touched on this uh, just briefly here and there. I want to I look at this one more time and explain to you what the fear of the Lord is explicitly. Go back to Proverbs chapter 1. And I want to show you this. Proverbs chapter 1. We know what verse 7 says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of knowledge. What is or what does it mean to fear God? We've talked about this. We'll, we'll, we'll go over it again. And uh, what does it mean to fear God? Right. And we know we've talked about it. It doesn't. It has the element of, of fear. I think there's an absolutely an element of fear involved, and we'll see this. There's also an element of reverence. There's also an element of respect. They are all involved. They're, don't do the pendulum swing. Oh, he, it's all love and it's all this. Or no, it's all, it's all fear God and sit in a corner and just fear your life away, waiting for God to strike you dead for every move you make. I mean, that's just twisted, actually. Right? That's not how God is. If you want to notice what the fear of the Lord is, look at verse 29 and 30. Let's jump down. Proverbs chapter 1, look at verse 29. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Remember what the beginning of, of knowledge is? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What does it say here? They hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Right? Look at verse 30. They would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. So if you notice here, verse 30 is defining verse 29. There is a colon after the word Lord, L-O-R-D, there in, chapter, in verse 29. What comes after that is going to explain it. Verse 30 is explaining verse 29, right? So, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. What do you mean? What, how to explain that? Well, they would none of my counsel. And they despised my reproof. What is reproof? Reproof is rebuke and correction. Okay? It's rebuke and correction. Watch this. Reproof doesn't have to be correction now. Watch. Correction can be prescriptive. Correction can be uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it can be a preventative maintenance. What does God say? Here is the way, walk ye in it. Right? What, what does God, preventative maintenance says, if you do this, I will do this. If you don't do this, I will do this. Right? So God is giving uh, reproof. He gives us reproof, not only after sin, but He gives reproof before sin. And He says, here's the, don't do this. Because this is what's going to happen. That is correction before it ever happens. That's the grace of God. Isn't that wonderful? Because some of our parents didn't do that. <laughs> we found the rebuke after. And sometimes you were surprised because you, re- you never got the reproof beforehand. You're like, well, I didn't know that was wrong. Well, now you do, right? <laughs> it would have been nice to have a little reproof before. Yeah. Watch this. So what is the fear of the Lord? That word counsel is... Pointing up, they would none of my counsel, right? That's speaking of knowledge there. And uh, they did not choose the fear of the Lord. That's connected there to they despised all my reproof. They're explaining those. So what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord, watch, is when you believe the reproof and adjust your life accordingly. Let me give you an example, if I can think of an example. (laughs) Um, 
okay, uh, the Bible speaks of, uh, of fornication. It speaks of adultery. It speaks of uh, sexual sins, right? And why I bring this up, we're living in it today. We're watching the outcome in our society of sexual sin. Right? If we as a child of God believe what he says about it, we will adjust our lives accordingly and, and not live that way. Why? Because we believe what he's saying. What, what are we doing? We're fearing God because we believe the consequence of what he says. That's living in, that's living in the fear of God. I have a, I have a guy I know. I, we grew up together. Um, and uh, I don't want to say too much, but uh, he has made some choices, right? Claiming to be in the will of God and making some choices that are against the Word of God, clearly against the Word of God. And what, do you, what, what, what does it say? What is he doing? He's not living in the fear of God because he doesn't believe the consequences. Right? He doesn't believe that the way of the transgressor is hard. He doesn't believe that, listen, forsaking the assembling of yourselves together has a consequence. He doesn't, they, they, not he, but we, people in general, they don't believe that the one who doesn't fear God doesn't take what God says and prescriptively and doesn't adjust their life to it, watch, and live according to it. They're not living in the fear of God. It's just simply, watch, it's simply trust and obey. That's living in the fear of God. And we see it here in Haggai. When they got the word of God, when God spoke to them and said, hey, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Go do it. They repented. They began to do it. And you know what it, the evidence, you know what that was? It was they were living in the fear of God now. Yeah. It's a dangerous thing not to, to forsake the fear of God. It's a dangerous thing to put aside the, the prescriptives that God gives us to live our life by. No, friend, I know we're not perfect. I get that. Right? We're not talking about... You know, Pentecostal sinless perfection, because they, uh, they don't have it either, but they think they do. <laughs> and right, We're not talking about that. We're talking about, an at, watch, a heart attitude of trust and obey. Of trust and obey. This is what they had. This is what they had. Repentance came. Notice what else came, verse 13. Assurance came. Obedience came in verse 12. This is what happens with the... This is a great outline of, of repentance, of a turning around. Obedience, number two, the fear of the Lord. Number three, assurance. Look at verse 13. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's, uh, Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. There is nothing like the confirmation of God and a direction of our life. It's, we have, you have to have it. Absolutely. And listen, in your heart of hearts, you know when God's going along with you and when He's not. You know it. You really do. There's assurance when repentance comes. There's obedience. There's fear. There is assurance. Now I want to show you this. I want to focus on this and we'll be done. Verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did the work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. What happens when repentance comes? What happens when the word of God comes? We acknowledge it. We agree with him. We repent. We turn about. 
with a heart and an attitude to come back to obedience to God. Uh, obedience comes, fear comes, assurance comes. Watch this. An inner desire to do the will of God comes back. God flips on the, the switch of desire again. Have you ever not wanted to read your Bible? Have you ever thought about Sunday morning going, ugh, Sunday night, I just got up from a nap. I don't want to go back. Wednesday, I'm too tired. Yeah. Soul winning on uh, prayer meeting on Saturday, ugh. Has the desire ever gone away? Watch this. We talked about this Wednesday night. That lack of a desire is an indication that something's wrong. Because when, watch, when we're right with God, living in the fear of the Lord, living in obedience, not only does joy and assurance come back, but an inner desire comes back. Does this, does this sound familiar to you, Philippians 2.13? For it is God who worketh in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. Friend, if you're dragging yourself to church and the desire is gone, it is, listen, it is a flag raised as high as can be, that something is wrong internally. What's, what's wrong? I, I will tell you this. Here's what I've learned in my life. Here's what you've probably learned in your own life as well. It's not usually a, just a, a list of things that's wrong. It's generally just one little thing that's off. And we've said no to God. We've, oh, wait, maybe, maybe it's not just we've said a flat-out no. Maybe, maybe this is what happened, right? Maybe, maybe there's something, there was something that, that got involved that messed up your plans, messed up your ideals, messed up your thought process. It caused you to stop. I mean, momentum was going forward for God, right? You were just, you were all in it, man. You were with God. But boy, the, uh, the adversary came. Opposition came. It slowed you down. It stopped you. And before you know it, now you're not even doing what God wanted you to do anymore. And what, what happened now? All of a sudden the desire goes away, right? And now, now, now it's just, it's affecting. Generally it's not a bunch of things. Generally it's just one little thing. Maybe it's somebody God put on your heart that you needed to witness to and God wanted you to focus on them and them alone. Maybe it's somebody God put in your life. Maybe it was an attitude at work that he wanted you to have. How many have ever had a job and a position at work and you kind of blew it in your testimony? <laughs> right? You just, you just didn't, I mean, the Lord really had an opportunity out before you with the lost. And, and not, not that maybe you act poorly, but maybe you just didn't take the opportunity that God had impressed upon you. And you know what happens? Maybe that job ends and he gives you another one. It's like he got another chance to go at it again, right? And uh, well, well, you didn't do it. I mean, sometimes opposition comes. Sometimes things derail you. I'm just saying, sometimes it's just one little thing that God wanted you to do. That God has in you. You know what it was for Israel at this time? Build the temple. That's all I'm saying. You had, what's that thing? You had one job. That's what my brother told me. The whole time he's helping me work, he, told, he would say this. I have just one job. And he still messed it up. And so, <laughs> you, have, you might have one thing that God wants you to do. Right? Opposition comes. Discouragements comes. Disappointment has come. And you've put it aside, right? You've been busy on your own life. Watch, you've turned to self instead of to God. You've turned to self. You've been busy on your own life. And, and there's evidences of it all over. Discontentment. You're not, you're not reaping where you're sowing, right? The, the, God definitely is doing something in your life to tell you, listen, consider your ways. Consider your ways. 
Think about the, what's going on in your life. Think about not, not just financially, not just uh, materially, not just saying, where'd the joy go? Where's the desire at? Where, where's the hunger for the things of God? Where's the appetite for the things of God, right? That is a red flag. It is a red flag. Yeah. And if you will seek first the kingdom of God, if you will turn again in repentance, right, and say, yeah, I know exactly where I... I don't want to raise your hands. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But probably all of us in here could raise our hand at a point in life, whether it's in the past or whether it's presently, we could raise a hand in our, from an experience in our own life when God gave us something specifically to do and we hadn't been doing it. We see this pattern in our life and you say, yep, I've been there, I've done that, or I'm there right now and something's wrong and I know it is, right? What, what, what do you do? You just return. You acknowledge it and say, you're right, I'm wrong. This is where I left off. You know what it is. You know the thing it is, that it is. I've left off. Maybe it's in faithfulness to assembling. Maybe it's in, in your tithes and offerings. Maybe it's in the way you approach, approach the Lord on a daily basis in His Word and prayer. Maybe it's somebody that God has put in your life for you to win to Christ and you've just put it off. Maybe it's a testimony at work. Maybe it's a worth, work ethic at work. Maybe it's an attitude at work. Maybe it's your attitude towards, towards, your, uh, towards authority at work. I'm telling you, that happens on the job side a lot, doesn't it? One person gets gripey at the boss and man, all of a sudden the whole place is all upset at him. And uh, you know, what God may want you to do to step and say well you know and and counter that right I tell you what I've had times where you know people get griping and you know what I've said I said well it's not my money invested it's his what why why should I have anything I listen I I worked at a company one time and they were all complaining about something and thankfully at this time I didn't always do this don't get me wrong Um, I had plenty of mess ups but uh, I remember one time just saying well I it's not my million dollars invested. I can go get another job if it all goes bankrupt. He doesn't. He loses all his money. So who am I to say, you know, what he does and what he doesn't? No, it's an, it's an attitude towards authority and towards those that are above you. Right? No, God has given us opportunities. He has a will for our life. He has a direction for our life. And uh, he has something for us to do, right? So the question is today, what have you left off doing? What have you left off doing? Have you left off preaching the gospel? Have you left off trying to reach that one friend that God has put on your mind? Have you left off that testimony at work? What is it? Left off being faithful to the body? What is it? You say it's nothing. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Stay there. But if there is something, the remedy is so easy. I love it. Repent. Agree with God, right? And then obey. Get back to it. Was the, was the temple built in like three days? No. It was still a long process to build it. But their heart and their mind was decided. Back to building. Amen. And they finished it. They did. Absolutely. Obedience. When that comes, the fear of the Lord will come back again. Which is obedience. Assurance will come back. Right? Instead of flailing around everywhere, the assurance comes back. You are exactly where God wants you to be and you know it. And then finally, when that happens, that inner desire will kick on. And then you'll just find out you just want to be there. Let me give you an example. (laughs) It doesn't have to be a a big thing. It can be something small. One year, every year, our church would go to family camp. And we would, uh, Miss Sherry and I, our job a lot of times was to run the the snack shack. And we enjoyed that. It was always a lot of fun. And uh, people are always happy when they're coming up buying junk food, you know. And so it was a great thing. And so uh, 
Well, one year I had just a rotten attitude about it, and I didn't want to go to camp. Uh, I thought, I'm busy and this and blah, 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 I had all these things, all these excuses, and I was irritated about it. I wasn't going. I wasn't going. And uh, the assistant pastor texted me at work. He said, hey, uh, we're, we're getting everything squared away. Uh, you and Miss Sherry coming to camp this year. And I text back, no. And he said, okay. <laughs> I mean, you talk about the conviction of the Spirit of God. And I'm working away. And it's like, <sighs> pulled my phone out. We'll be coming. You know what all of a sudden happened? I'm telling you. You know what happened? I couldn't wait to go to camp. What changed? <laughs> I literally could not wait to get to camp. I was excited about it and planning about it. I was unhappy about it three minutes earlier. And then all of a sudden I was happy about it. What happened? What happened? Well, the fear of the Lord and obedience. God flipped the switch on of desire. That's what he wanted. Right? And you know what happened? We had a wonderful time. Had a wonderful time at camp. God spoke. Did a wonderful job. And uh, thankful for that. Listen, we're learning here from Haggai today. Whatever God has told you to do, if you've left off doing it, just get back to doing it. Get, get back to it. And if you'll find this, if you'll repent and agree with God and get back to it, what will happen is all of a sudden you'll want to do the thing you didn't want to do. Okay, whatever it is. So however God has put that in your life, let's remember that today. And uh, maybe we'll go back to Haggai again. There's so much more there. Uh, we'll see. Father, thank you today for your word. Uh, we just ask... For the help of your Holy Spirit today to take what has your word that has been taught and presented. And uh, Father, that it would be etched into our hearts, it would be etched into our minds. And uh, Lord, that we would have a heart of obedience. That we would consider our ways today. That we would look at what's going on in our life and around us. And maybe something's out of whack. Maybe the joy is gone. Maybe the desire to be obedient to you is just not there. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, we ask you to... Um, maybe put a finger on what it might be. What it might be. Where our, heart, where our heart has said no to you. And Father, we're thankful that not only we have the testimony of your word, which if that's all we had was enough, but we also have the testimony of our own experience and our own work and inner work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. And we thank you for that. And Father, would you do that work in our lives today? And... Uh, well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We can be dismissed in about 15 minutes. The show will be, not the show. We'll start.